0: West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to start with a question for every single person here, alright? I need you to raise your hand if ever, ever in your life you've had to wait for something. All right, keep your hands up. Okay, keep your hand up if you if there has ever been anything that you have enjoyed waiting for. Okay, we lost a few there. All right. Keep your hand up if you've ever enjoyed waiting at a red light. Ooh, that killed it. All right. How about waiting at a red light while you're late for the doctor to get a shot? And done. Crazy in a room this big. Nobody. And, Miles, you're lying over there. All right. Well, that's exactly what happened to us two months ago when we were taken. You'll see it on the screen here when we were taking this little guy to the doctor. That's, uh, that's Lincoln, he's four and a half months now, but that picture was taken when he was two years old and we were sitting at a red light and we, what did I say? Yeah, that's what I meant, two years old. <laughs> two months old. Okay, so the details aren't important, okay? <laughs> we were sitting at a red light And we were late to take Lincoln to the doctor to get shots, as in plural, more than one. In fact, four shots, two in each thigh. And as a parent, it's bad enough when your kids know what you're going to the doctor for, for shots, because you guys lie to them and you say we're going to ice cream and we're, we're going to get McDonald's. And it's just horrible. But when you look at that face and you go, man, you have no idea what's about to hit you. It's just, it's agonizing to wait on that. And so there's a story behind this picture. That picture was taken moments before the first needle hit his thigh. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that was the, it's pitiful, okay? So the first needle hit his thigh, just boom. and, And they take that breath in. And then right when you think they can't take in any more air, boom, shot number two hits. And then they take in more air. And then, boom, shot number three hits in the the other thigh. And now their face is bright red, and they still haven't exhaled yet. And then, boom, shot number four. And by that point, his face was purple. And you're just waiting for it. You're just waiting for the exhale. Because when the exhale hits, it is just the most agonizing, horrific sound you've ever heard. And his body was quaking. And I just need to make a disclaimer. That picture was not taken in the moments right after the shot because I'm not that heartless, okay? (laughs) That picture was taken two days ago ago when I was being completely heartless with our four-and-a-half-month-old son. But I often look back. I look back at that picture of him smiling, and then I think back to when he was screaming. And I think, what was going through his mind? was going through his mind. And as you're thinking about that, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. That's where we're going to be this morning. And while you're turning there, this morning is actually the last morning that we're going through the series Built Bowls Tough, in which we're talking about spiritual disciplines that we can be incorporating into our lives. And if you haven't guessed yet, the one we're talking about this morning is waiting. Now, instead of thinking about what was going through Lincoln's mind, I want you to think about you. What is it that goes through your mind, what goes through our minds, when life is full of pain? And when life is difficult, or maybe life is uncomfortable, or maybe life's a little bit boring and monotonous, what goes through our minds? And if you're like me, there's one thing going through your mind. I'm hoping that what I'm going through will change. Because do you remember, and junior hires and high schoolers, you know this, you remember sitting in class, and when you're in a class that's painful or difficult or boring, what does that second hand do? It goes, and then like five minutes goes by, and then it goes, and then sometimes you're sure it's moving backwards, and every second feels like a minute, and every minute feels like an hour when we're going through those moments in life. In fact, our mind zeroes in on what we're going through, and we start trying to maybe figure out how we can change it, how we can fix what we're going through, or maybe our prayers even center around it, and we pray about that thing, we pray about what we're going through, and sometimes, sometimes what we're going through, it changes, and then sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. And in our minds, we think that the sign that God is with us is if what we're going through changes. But if what we're going through doesn't change, if we don't see the pain going away or the difficulty or the monotony, you know what we do? We start asking questions, don't we? We start saying, God, do you see what I'm going through right now? Do you you see what I need right now? Or God, are you, are you there while I'm going through what I'm going through right now? Or God, did you, did you forget about what I'm going through right now? And the same thing that's true for us today, this morning, well, that was true for God's people, the Israelites, 2,700, 2,800 years ago. And that truth is this, that we don't wait very well. We just don't wait well. In fact, the Israelites knew about waiting because remember they had that incredible promise from God. And instead of it being immediately fulfilled, what happened? They had to wait while they were ruled over by Egypt. And then they saw the promised land for a little bit and then it was more waiting because then they found themselves fighting the Philistines. And then after that, it was the mighty Assyrian army. And then when Isaiah showed up, He said, guess what? I've got some some bad news. This time, it's not the Egyptians, it's not the Philistines, it's not the Assyrians, it's the Babylonians. You guys are going into captivity. And it's like he anticipated, he knew God showed him what their mindset would be. Look at verse 27 in Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on screen. Here we go. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? So he's addressing both the northern and southern kingdoms of God's people. Why do you say and complain, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Does that sound familiar? Because maybe we haven't worded it that way, but we've said that before. We've said, God, you don't, you don't see me, do you? You don't see what I'm going through, do you, God? You, you forgot about me, didn't you? And I'm here to tell you this morning that if that is what we are thinking in the midst of what we're going through, that's not bad. But there is an incredible encouragement and challenge from our Heavenly Father through the prophet Isaiah this morning. In fact, it starts very quickly. Right after verse 27, look at verse And then you've heard this verse because you've probably seen it on artwork, different places. It's a well-known verse. But those who wait on the Lord, in some translations say those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. Other translations say gain new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Do you notice the emphasis there? He didn't say anything about what we're going through. No, the emphasis was on the Lord and who the Lord is in the midst of going through what we go through. But that's hard to see, isn't it? It's hard when what you're going through is right there in your face. When you feel like you're in captivity, you just see walls, right? You see pain. And then you see difficulty, and you see discomfort, and you see monotony, and that's all we can see. And if that's what we're thinking, then it's possible that we need a reminder of who is with us in the midst of what we're going through. And so what I want to do is I want to rewind in this chapter back to to verse 10. Because we're about to see some incredible language. I think it's some of the most amazing language in the Bible about who the Lord is. And as we walk through this, there's some incredible imagery. Just picture this. All right? So back to verse 10. Actually, end of verse 9. He says, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so not only is the Lord mighty and powerful, we see that he's a shepherd who loves and tends and takes care of his sheep. And then we move into some some questions, some really incredible questions. Look at verse verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket and weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him The path of understanding. And of course, the answer to all those questions is nobody. Because who he is, he doesn't need anybody to show him or teach him those things. He needs nobody. And then we see a shift. He starts to address Israel and what they're going to go through. He says, surely the nations, verse 15, are like a drop in the bucket. They are They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon, which was known for its trees and all its animals, Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. So he's saying, look, Israel, you're going into captivity, and you're going to go to this foreign nation And part of what you're going through, all you're going to be able to see is this foreign land, and you're not going to be in your own land. But you just got to know that compared to who the Lord is, that foreign nation is nothing. And then he addresses another part of what they're going through. Verse 18, to whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. So now, Israel, what you're going through, won't just be foreign nation. You'll be surrounded by this pagan religion. And you just gotta know that they will make idols because they make idols to what they think are gods, which actually aren't gods at all. And you'll be surrounded by that. And that may be all you can see, but you're God is greater than that. Nothing compares to him. And then he moves into something else. Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. In other words, the foreign rulers that you're ruled over, Israel, they're like nothing compared to who the Lord is. And then he finishes with this To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Who the Lord is, is so far beyond what we go through. So far beyond. Every few years, you'll see in the news there is a, uh, there seems to be this ongoing story. And it seems like it's developed into a race between nations to see who can develop the fastest, most powerful supercomputer. And up until recently, there's a supercomputer in California called Sequoia, okay? In Sequoia, all these supercomputers, they're measured in what you see on the screen right there, a petaflop. I know this is weird language, so I'm, just bear with me, okay? But they're measured in petaflops, and what a petaflop is, is a computer's ability to operate, to perform one quadrillion operations every second. So supercomputers are measured in petaflops. The Sequoia in California, it can do about 16 petaflop per second. So 16 quadrillion operations every second. Well, a month ago, China came out and they said, you know what, we've developed a supercomputer. And it, it can perform almost 35 quadrillion operations per second. To give you an idea, scientists estimate that the human brain's ability to compute is about 35 petaflop per second. Now, if you were to take 30 of those supercomputers that China has and put them together, you would have what's called an exaflop. And you're going to know why you need to know this in just a minute, okay? An exaflop is 1000 quadrillion operations per second. If you were to put 100 exaflops together, you know what you'd have? You'd have a nathan flop. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I might have made that up to make myself sound smarter than I really am, all right? No, you would have, you would have a computer that the power required to run it every single second could power 300,000 single-family homes a month. The heat generated by this computer, you would need 18 million gallons of water every minute to cool it down, to keep it from melting itself and everything around it down. It would be the size of one of the neighborhoods here in the area. Now, here's why you need to know that. Because scientists estimate that in order to fully simulate the human brain, not just computing power, but all the processes, all the systems, you would need a 100-exaflop computer. And our God took all of that, and he put it right here, right inside our heads. And that's not even the most impressive part. The most impressive part, as we just saw in Isaiah chapter 40, is God says, nations of people with these mega supercomputers in their heads, that's like nothing before me. It's like nothing. Now, is anybody in here feeling just about this big? I know I am. In fact, it's because we feel this big in the midst of such an incredible God, that we ask questions like we talked about a little bit ago. We say, God, you don't don't see me, do you? My My way is hidden from you, isn't it? My cause is disregarded by you, isn't it, God? And Isaiah says, no, 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 no. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 starts with three words. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. You know what God wants us to do? In the midst of feeling like we're in captivity, in the midst of pain and difficulty and discomfort and monotony, he says, I want you to just lift your eyes. I want you to look outside of what you're going through. I want you to look outside of what and when and why and how. Because you know what happens when you lift your eyes? The thing that you hope in, you hope in what you're going through to change, the thing you're hoping in, it shifts when you lift your eyes. And it shifts from what to who. From what to who. And look what Isaiah says about who God is on top of everything he's already given us. He says, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Huh. There are billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy, and that's just one galaxy out of millions and billions of galaxies. So we're talking hundreds of billions, maybe trillions of stars. And our God, because of his mighty power and strength, he brings them out and knows each of them by name. Bob, Richard, and Judy, an omega three seven four yx 9 er I don't know what they're called, okay? But our God does. And they answer him. That's who our God is. And if he knows the names of hundreds of billions and trillions of stars, you can bet he knows the names of 7 billion people on planet Earth. And not only does he know your name, he knows what you're going through. He knows. And that's who you hope in. In fact, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, I just want you to remember this, that waiting means hoping in who, not what. Waiting means hoping in who, not what. That means we're hoping in who our God is, not what we're going through to change. Now. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. When in our face, all we see is what we're going through. But that is a truth that you just got to grab onto and hold onto it for life. Because as we all know, hoping in what we're going through to change, that in some form, in some way, is eventually going to fail us, isn't it? Yeah, it is. In fact, in a room this size... Hoping in what we're going through to change has failed all of us. You know, maybe you've hoped in your financial situation to take a turn and to change, but it just got worse. You took one step forward and five steps back. Maybe it's hoping in a job to come along, but there's just no job in sight. Or maybe it's what you're going through at your job is just miserable. And there's no end in sight to that. Or parents. It's watching what your children are going through. And you wish so badly that you could change it. Or parents with older children, it's what you're going through with those older children as you watch them make their own life decisions. And you think, God, do you not see what I'm going through? Or maybe it's what you're going through in a friendship, in a relationship, or maybe it's what we're going through as a church. We're waiting, right? Waiting for a pastor. And waiting in what we're going through to change is a recipe to be let down. If we're hoping in that. And so God, in the midst of his people's waiting, he challenges them with one thing. And the challenge is not in my own strength to go try to figure out what to do about it. I learned that just very recently. I feel like I've been running 100 miles per hour throughout February. And we had this incredible trip with the high schoolers last week. And we were in, in Pagosa, but in the days leading up to this Pagosa trip, I was up quite a few nights at 2 or 3 in the morning trying to figure out how to, f- how to deal with all the details of this trip and what to do about all the details. And what I only know now looking back is that because of who God is, He He moved other people's hearts to take care of what I was going through. We had Angela and Mary and Clarice and Mariah. They took care of the music for the trip. If you know me, that is not, that's not me, okay? And so somebody else had to deal with that. And in the midst of me trying to figure out how to deal with that, he had already moved on their hearts. Scott and Jen Gregory. Heather Benedict. They took care of food, took care of vehicles, Ryan Long. God was moving in other people's hearts. And so I look back and I go, man, I wish I'd realized it then. I could have maybe slept a little bit. So the solution's not in our strength trying to fix what we're going through. And it's not to despair. That's not God's challenge. And it's not to figure out a new way to ask the question, God, have you forgotten me? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see any of it? He didn't forget about you. And if you need proof of that, if you need a reminder of that, you turn around and you look at the cross because he remembered you as he was hanging there on the cross. He remembered you because that's who he is. Now the challenge that God gave was to lift our eyes. Lift your eyes because when you do, your hope It shifts from what, when, why, how, to who. Who he is. And so we were sitting there two and a half months ago in the doctor's office with Lincoln. And that uh, horrifying scream, it finally settled to a whimper. Holding him in our arms, and he looked up with those big, teary eyes. And I leaned down and I whispered into his ear, The shots were mommy's idea. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just kidding, honey. I didn't say that. I said, I love you. Think of it. We are sitting in the arms of a heavenly father who if we would just lift our eyes to him, you know what we'd get? I love you because that's who he is. He loves you. So here's my question. What does lifting your eyes look like for you? Because I can't tell you what that is, and it's going to be different for everybody. Last week in Pagosa, I was talking to a girl. For her, it's worship music. And so maybe for some of you, that's what it is. You need to get in your car, and you need to blast worship music to the point that people in other cars say, what is wrong with that person if that's what it takes to show you who he is? There's a a newer guy to our youth group, recently became a Christian, and for him, it's this. It's God's word. He cannot get enough of it because every time he opens it, he's able to lift his eyes and gain hope because he sees who God is. Or maybe for you, it's like what I had to do this last week. Every single night, walk outside and literally lift my eyes and look up at the starry host to get a picture of who God is. And in doing so, the hope shifts from what to who. And then something incredible happens. You know what happens? You gain strength. God says, if you will hope in who I am, I will give you my strength. And people will look at the situation you are living in life right now, And they'll say, wow, they should be on the ground. But they are mounting up with wings like eagles. And they are soaring. Even though they're walking through it, they're soaring above it. They will look at you and say, wow, they should be limping along. But they're running because of his strength. They will look at you and think, wow, they should be just down on the ground, flat on their face. But they are walking through what they're walking through. And it all happens Because in the midst of waiting, you lift your eyes and you hope in who, not what. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of who you are. In the midst of going through what we're going through, Father, we need that reminder. We need that picture of who you are every moment of every day. Because too often... Our hope is in what we're going through to change. And and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But remind us that whether it changes or not, our hope is not in that. Our hope is in you. And so will you show us this week in our hearts? Just put in our minds and put in our hearts what lifting, lifting my eyes looks like for me. Whether that's praising you, quiet time with you, digging into your word, looking up, it the stars you bring out. Show us what it is. that Show us what that is this week. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. We'll see you next week.